Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrie podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrie, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of FX Talk, and it's been uh, another relatively busy period in financial markets. Uh, attention has remained firmly uh, on the UK, particularly the fallout uh, from last month's controversial budget announcement. Uh, and we spoke on the last episode about the reaction in the pound to the budget and the potential impact um, of the tax cuts on the UK economy. Since then, we've had one of the most dramatic U-turns in British political history. Most of the tax cuts, by our, our estimates, around 80% that were announced have now been reversed. This includes reversing the 45p top tax bracket, ditching the cut to the basic tax rate, and U-turning on the hike to corporation tax, which was due in April next year. The energy bill freeze, which was set to last two years, will now only run until April. And former Chancellor Kwarteng is also now out of a job, replaced by a more orthodox figure uh, of Jeremy Hunt. Uh, how have the markets reacted? Well, sterling has posted decent gains up above the 113 level on the US dollar, which is roughly where it was before the announcement. UK bonds uh, have, have also stabilised. Bond yields um, have, have steadied themselves, although remain very high and still well above pre-budget levels. The big question for us now is, is what's next for the pound? Is this U-turn a green light to a sterling rally or do downside risks remain? Um, so over to you guys. What are your thoughts on the pound following the budget U-turn? Um, I mean, I think that the appointment of Jeremy Hunt removes like the, the biggest downside uh, for now uh, from uh, Sterling because uh, it's clear that we have an, an orthodox hand at the helm uh, and that uh, something that, that perhaps hasn't got enough attention is that any further deterioration in the UK bond market would probably lead to further tightening of the of the fiscal plans of the Tory uh, the Tory government I think that the uh, the the sense we got this weekend that there's a very good feeling and cooperation between uh, Jeremy Hunt on the one hand and Andrew Bailey the uh, head of the MPC of the Bank of England on the other is it's a real positive for the pound if at the very least it removes the, the, the potential, the biggest potential downside, which is a full-fledged payment of uh, crisis, payment, balance of payment crisis in the UK. So we're back, I think, to where we were uh, a few weeks ago, uh, perhaps a little bit better from the bond perspective because this, this downside risk has now been removed. And the same arguments that uh, we were making before this the disastrous budget announcement, I think, are, are valid now. The pound is, is very cheap on any any metric, uh, real long-term equilibrium, purchasing power parity. Historically, um, the, the cheapest has been in decades. And that perhaps the UK's problems have gotten a lot of attention that other uh, currencies and countries have not. And once that spotlight shifts a little bit, we might see a significant outperformance on the part of the pound. I'm, I'm fairly optimistic on the pound from here. 
Yeah, I'm not actually super confident about the pound. I would agree that the biggest downside risk um, has been removed by this U-turn that we've seen. Nonetheless, if we actually look at it, uh, the UK is one of the most politically unstable countries in the world, uh, particularly if we look at the developed economies. Uh, we are probably going to see a change to the prime minister's seat. I think bookies right now are estimating 70 to 75% chance that Liz Truss will no longer be prime minister um, after the end of this year, and perhaps uh, it can happen even sooner. Um, also, uh, I'm not super confident about the Bank of England. I mean, their actions with regards to um, the guild uh, market has certainly uh, helped. However, with regards to their communication, uh, they m missed quite often. Uh, so uh, I'm not super confident that the market expectations that are quite high right now, because we are talking about market is expecting a 100 basis point increase at the upcoming meeting and a 75 basis point increase following that. I'm not sure that mm, they are going to meet those expectations. The UK is also uh, suffering from external imbalances. If you look at the current account, this is quite significant. Uh, and uh, the uh, risk to the economy remains, uh, particularly as we are going to see high interest rates. Uh, and also the fiscal support is going to be rather limited. So, uh, yes, I mean, on the basis that the biggest risk was removed and that the pound is cheap, uh, I would expect it to go up, but I'm not super confident about its prospects. Well, I think what we can agree on is that is common sense has prevailed. I think the ditching of most of this budget is a step in the right direction. Um, the risk of persistently high inflation, the risk of very high interest rates, and a possible debt spiral are now all lower. Um, I think the, the economic outlook is more favourable without the tax cuts. So that should be good news for sterling. Um, but but as you, I think, correctly mentioned there, Roman, I think damage has been done. Um, the credibility of the UK government is shot to bits. It's difficult to see how Liz Trust survives uh, through to the end of the year. Uh, and while sterling has recovered, bond yields remain very high, which means mortgage rates are, are elevated. Uh, and, and I do agree. I think it's difficult to see how the Bank of England meets market's expectations for rate hikes. Um, so all in all, I mean, I, I still see sterling higher than it would have been had the budget remained in place, but uh, lower than we had anticipated before this budget fiasco. We're going to move on now and talk about last week's US inflation surprise. Uh, once again, the, the US inflation data beat economists' expectations. Uh, the headline CPI print for September did ease down to 8.2% from 8.1%. But core inflation marched to a fresh 40-year uh, high, 6.6%, um, which was well above consensus. Markets were quick to react and the, uh, initially sending the US dollar higher uh, as attention turned to how the Fed could react to, to the inflation surprise. A uh, 75 base point hike is now fully priced in for the November FOMC meeting with a decent chance we could get another in December. But uh, these gains didn't hold and the dollar has underperformed most of its peers in the past week or so. Uh, so what do you guys think about last week's US inflation data, um, the reaction in the dollar and its impact on Fed monetary policy? Um, I think it was it was obviously a disappointment. Um, the uh, headline came down, but uh, we're not really paying that much. Nobody's really paying that much attention to the headline right now. The, everything, all the everybody's focused on on core. Um, 
not only was the core higher than expected, but um, it just it just showed more signs of what we've been seeing in the last few months, which is a broadening of uh, inflationary pressures with uh, nearly every major category um, showing uh, anywhere, uh, uh, definitely um, above 5% or above year-on-year growth. Uh, last three months now have... Uh, and inflation, the last three months in the in that core are not consistent with a nearly 7% annualized rate. Uh, there's no sign that uh, inflation, core inflation is coming down in spite of the unprecedented speed at which the Federal Reserve has been hiking rates. And the, the key right now is whether the expectations for a terminal Fed rate of five uh, percent are going to be sufficient. Um, now, to me, the, the the key right now is not so much whether the next hike is seventy five basis point or one hundred basis points, but a where does the Fed step off the break? Does it do it at four and a half, five, or even five and a half percent? And b uh, how fast or whether at all it's able to bring rates down from that level after inflation starts coming down. And this right now there's 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 very little reason to think that the answer to the first question is Fed uh rates will probably have to peak at five percent or above five percent at least. And there's an increasing chance that no easing of policy after that is is possible uh in the entire year of 2023. And I don't know if the markets have, have fully uh, apprehended that. The even biggest question, however, is where does that leave the ECB, where inflation in the Eurozone is, is not any, is, is if anything, the inflationary pressures are higher than in the U.S., and yet uh, the European Central the expectations for European Central Bank hikes are way, way below uh, the uh, levels that I just mentioned, and I think that's going to be the story for 2023. The, the closing down, the closing of that massive gap between that we have now between ECB expectations and Fed expectations. Yeah, I mean the reading that we had certainly cannot be looked at in a positive way. Uh, however, if we actually look at the differences versus the expectations, it was not as significant. And the market reaction to the data um, has been uh, the initial negative reaction has been quickly reversed. Um, with regards to the Fed, I think that they're uh, certainly uh, or most certainly going to hike by 75 basis points. There is no need to accelerate tightening in the near term. However, I don't think that there is any uh, reason right now, considering the inflation, to step on the brakes. Uh, and the question will move uh, towards what they're going to do in December and uh, when exactly are they going to end the hiking process and at what rates, uh, as you and Ruka said. Um, so I think that in the near term, this probably should be uh, relatively supportive of the uh, US dollar. Um, nonetheless, uh, with time, I think that we are going to see the current inflation uh, stabilizing, supported by uh, base effect uh, on one hand. Uh, we already are seeing it in some economies. If we look at Czech Republic, for instance, for the three for the past three months, uh, the base effect helped to stabilize core inflation at very high level, but still. 
uh, and um, the economic data should uh, show signs of deterioration. We already had some um, downtrends in the PMI indices. The labor market is uh, keeping strong. However, it cannot go on forever. So at, at some point, the Fed will uh, likely look at it and uh, say that its job uh, has been uh, maybe not done, but they are on the right track and maybe they can step, uh, step on the brakes. That's a, that's a very interesting that uh, that you mentioned, uh, Roman, about the core. Could you explain a little bit about the core effects? Because it is true that uh, we've seen a stabilization in some Eastern European core inflation numbers. What how, how do you expect that to play out in the U.S.? What what numbers will drop out of the core uh, inflation numbers that will that will maybe bring down a stabilization towards six or even five percent, which seems to be what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that we have a stabilization in core in uh, the CE region as a whole, because if we look at other economies, uh, Poland, Hungary, we are still edging higher. But with regards to Czech Republic, this statistical base effect uh, is helping it to stabilize. So right now I'm just talking about it. Uh, however, uh, with regards to the US, I think that the economic slowdown is something that has the greatest potential to uh, loosen the price pressures in the US. Uh, and the deterioration in the labor market should also uh, be supportive of uh, core inflation coming down. Also, the situation in the housing market. Right now, we are seeing that there is significantly less demand for houses, and this should also, in some context, going forward, influence the price pressures. That, that's a very f- fair point. That's a fair point because the one place where we've seen uh, the m- quickest impact of uh, this Federal Reserve policy hikes has been the, the housing market where mortgage rates are now above uh, 7% or getting close to 7%. Uh, the housing market has cooled considerably. We're probably going to start seeing nominal price declines soon. And the, with a lag, that will impact eventually the uh, core inflation numbers through the shelter component. But unfortunately, that, that's a story for 2023. We definitely, I don't think we'll, because of the mechanics of how the index is calculated, I don't think we'll see any, any positive impact there in at least the next three months. But yeah, that's a fair point for 2023. You could have some deflationary impact from the uh, sea change that we've seen in the U.S. housing market from a, from a near bubble to, to where we are now, where prices might be start dropping soon. Super, excellent. I think we, we're going to move on now. And, and I wanted to briefly touch on the euro, which has largely outperformed its peers in the past month or so in the G10. Only the U.S. dollar and sterling have performed better. I wanted to talk about the reasons as to why we think we're seeing this resilience in the common currency. Um, perhaps I can start. Uh, two things for me as to I think why we're seeing uh, a relatively strong performance in the euro. Uh, first of which, I think fears over the energy situation in Europe have eased. I think there's a general expectation now that rationing of energy, while still a risk, uh, will be avoided over the winter months. Not to mention uh, that natural gas prices in Europe have fallen very sharply from their peaks um, and now down to around June levels. Uh, secondly, I think the market has also raised ex- its expectations in favour of ECB rate hikes, given we've seen no sign of a peak in euro area inflation uh, just yet. Uh, and that is also helping the euro. Um, next week's ECB meeting will be a highly important one. Another 75 basis point rate hike is probably on the way. And perhaps a, a, a rate hike cycle that extends deeper into next year than what's currently priced in. 
Um, would you guys agree with this? Uh, what do you believe has been behind this euro resilience? I think that mostly is how, how that the uh, negativity around the European economy had gotten way outside of way ahead of the data, and people were basically pricing in a massive energy crisis and, and rationing. And what we had instead is, uh, first of all, a sense that uh, that the gas and electricity prices have come down considerably from the peak, and the, a sense that the crisis may be uh, not nearly as bad as initially thought. Second, and I still think this hasn't filtered enough, is the massive packages in support that the various governments have have are either have announced or are, are considering supporting both uh, households and, and businesses. And, and I think that uh, perhaps the risk is given the size of these packages, the risk may be shifting to the to 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 the other. To, 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 to the other side, which is we're going to have better than expected growth uh, and economic outcomes in the short term, but inflationary pressure is going to continue to build, right? I mean, we have uh, packages in support of spending, household spending that are amounting to many points of GDP in most European countries. Uh, this is coming on top of, uh, of already uh, you know, excessive demand relative to supply, uh, core numbers that continue to trend upwards, unlike in the US, where they have at least seem to have stabilized. And on top of that, you're adding this this, this massive, massive subsidies and, and household support from the various governments in the Eurozone. So I think that in 2023, we may see that uh, if there's a recession, it will be very, very shallow and short-lived and, and will do nothing to alleviate the price pressures and that the ECB may well have to slam on the brakes much harder than that we expect in 2023. And overall, this I would say this is at the margin positive for the for the euro, especially given that at current levels, so many negative economic outcomes are priced in at current levels. Yeah, I think you touched on a very important point here, because I think that in the past, uh, many people thought that the US inflation is becoming more entrenched and more demand driven, but the European inflation is uh, largely due to the supply side and the energy crisis. But if we are starting to get um, governments to mitigate this energy crisis, this in fact could uh, prolong this uh, inflationary uh, situation that we are uh, living in right now and cause the European Central Bank to hike rates more. And uh, I don't think that it has already been reflected in the market pricing for interest rates. In fact, if we look at this pricing for the past months or so, for the past month or so, uh, it hasn't been changed uh, in, in particular. So I don't think that the recent uh, euro uh, resilience has much to do with the uh, interest rate expectations. Uh, but I think that uh, the market is not yet fully pricing in, as you said, those effects that the government support uh, can have on both the uh, economic situation and the inflation uh, in the coming uh, quarters and uh, perhaps even longer. Mm, uh, but with regards to what influenced the euro in the immediate term, I think that the declining natural gas prices certainly have helped. Right now, if we look at the key benchmarks for the gas prices, we are effectively at levels that we've seen in June, uh, and they are significantly lower uh, than what uh, we have seen uh, in late August, for instance. Uh, so I think that certainly a sense of calm has returned to Europe, and uh, this is leading some uh, investors to reconsider their positions. 
Excellent, fantastic. Um, lastly, we're gonna we're gonna move on and and finish with our spotlight currency for the week, um, as voted for by our followers on LinkedIn, uh, and they have chosen this week uh, the Mexican peso. The peso has held its value very well actually in the last few months uh, since the beginning of the year. Only the Brazilian real and Russian ruble have performed better um, than the peso. Um, so as usual, a simple buy, sell, or hold uh, with a brief rationale as to why. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to say a hold for the Mexican peso. Uh, a couple of reasons as to why that's the case. Um, for one, I think the rally in the, peso, in the peso has left it at very lofty levels. Um, actually, if we look at the peso in trade-weighted basis as its highest level since 2015, which could limit room for additional upside. Uh, secondly, I also expect the central bank in Mexico to roughly match the Federal Reserve's rate hike cycle, as it tends to do. Um, our upcoming meetings, which could potentially limit room for appreciation. Um, but what do you guys both think? The Mexican peso, is it a buy, sell or hold? I am torn between a buy and a hold. I, I like uh, Latin American currencies. So I like their, uh, their exposure to higher commodity prices. Uh, and I like their the impact that I think that there's this world where there's a more or less permanent um, shortage of, of uh, commodities, in particular oil in the, for the foreseeable future. Mexico's well positioned there. I like uh, structurally um, Mexico as a substitute for China when it comes to, to offshoring and to, uh, to supplying uh, uh, industrial products to the United States in place for China, where, in, where we, we, we have significant geopolitical concerns preventing further uh, offshoring of, uh, facilities there, but it has risen very quickly versus most of the currencies, particularly the euro. And I think there are better alternatives, more attractive alternatives the, in Latin America, like the Brazilian real. So I'm reluctantly going to go with a hold as well. Yes, yeah, so I actually would agree with that. I'm also torn between a um, buy and a hold. I think that Mexican peso, looking at the emerging market spectrum, is uh, one of the most stable currencies recently. Uh, definitely most resilient. Uh, it has good fundamentals. It, ha it doesn't have any serious external imbalances. The inflation landscape uh, is not particularly threatening, definitely not as bad and in, in some other emerging market currencies or even in some uh, main countries. Uh, and uh, all of those are favorable in the context of uh, Mexican peso. Also, real rates are slightly positive uh, and they uh, should increase further. Nonetheless, uh, as you both mentioned, the peso had uh, been quite resilient and uh, it hasn't uh, received the beating that many uh, EM currencies uh, have received. Uh, so I, I would also think that uh, there are better opportunities in the EM spectrum based on that. However, I think that with regards to Mexican peso, considering uh, how stable it has been, I think that it is a relatively low risk currency in the EM spectrum, uh, so I would probably go with a uh, buy. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.